Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. Could we greet our streaming family in the house today? Put your hands together. God bless you. Welcome in the name of Jesus. Well, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you here? All right. I've never seen dead people sitting up. All right. You know, we're going to return to our subject uh, that we dealt with last week. Do you remember Benaiah, our new best friend in the Bible, the warrior priest? Well, we're going to take a look at warrior priests today, and I've got so much to cover, I'm going to sit down. So at home, you may want to just get your pillow, get your coffee, because today I am so overwhelmed with the depth of God's Word today. Remember last week, Benaiah, the warrior priest, we found out that many people in the Bible were priests who became prophets who became priests. John the Baptist was a priest. He became a prophet. Ezekiel was a priest. He became a prophet. Nehemiah, Jeremiah was a priest who became a prophet. But there's only one priest who became a warrior, and his name is Benaiah. And the scripture says that Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, and he performed many great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion, and he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall, although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and he killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he too was a famous warrior. We found out this man is the archetypical image of the warrior priest. And we found out that this next move of God is going to be led by warrior priests. And there's a blending of metaphors. The priest represents power, boundaries, strength, glory, And the priestly ministry, the warrior ministry, is married to priestly sympathies, sensitivity, an invitation to confession. See, when we see priestly sympathies, we see someone who's sensitive and gracious. And when you combine and marry that with the metaphor of the warrior, you've got a sword and a scepter. And what an image. The sword is a mighty symbol of war. The scepter is the symbol of grace forgiveness, and welcome. How many of you need the grace of the priestly scepter? I do, every day. And how many of you need the encouragement of the boundaries and the boldness that comes with the warring image of the sword? Beloved, we are entering into an era where soldier priests are going to be those who carry the glory of God. The word Shekinah, Shekinah, that white cloud that filled the temple, is often spoken of as a heavy, heavy thing. The word is kavod. It means that white cloud that filled the Temple of Solomon. It says it fell so magnificently 
that priests were unable to stand or talk. Well, I heard one preacher say there's a lot of too much standing and too much talking in the pulpit. Well, you got me sitting down today, so we're getting halfway there. (laughs) The move of God that is going to come is going to bring an anointing so heavy that it would be borne only by the shoulders of soldier priests. We looked at Psalm 110 last week, most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And it portrays our Lord Jesus as a mighty king at the right hand of the Father and a priest forever after the, accord, after the order of Melchizedek. And we see that Christ, our Messiah, is a king-priest. No one in the, had ever married the imagery of the throne and the altar together before, but the Messiah will. He is a king-priest forever. So he bears the balance of kingly glory. He's the king of the universe, but he is a sensitive, empathetic priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek in Genesis 14 was the great priest king from Canaan who appears out of nowhere. You read the text and you wonder who he is, and Abraham is sitting and and he's in in a valley, and all of a sudden this man comes out of nowhere. His name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. And he addresses God as El Elyon, the Canaanite name for God. Abraham comes before a strange man. He only appears once in the Bible. But he is a melach, he's a king, and he is a priest. And Abraham bows before this strange man. Now you only bow before someone who is greater than you. And Abraham, who is the father of the faith, he knows God by the name of Jehovah. He is the most anointed guy on the planet. In his loins, the very priesthood of Aaron. Yet he meets Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, and he bows before him, including the priesthood in his loins, bowing before Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And he tithes of everything he won in the battle. And it says that Melchizedek gives him bread and wine. It's a snapshot from the Old Testament of a strange guy who appears once. And yet he appears in Psalm 110, the most quoted messianic psalm about the Messiah, and says literally the Messiah is going to be a king, but he's going to be a priest. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He could not have served in the temple of Herod because he was not from Aaron. He was from the tribe of Judah. But God invents a unique priesthood held only by a character, one, a follower of one, Jesus Christ. So we see him in Psalm 110, the Messiah, as a king priest. And his followers are called soldier priests. So those who follow him are going to bear this balance of kingly anointing and priestly anointing. You see the balance here? There's a balanced crowd being raised. Benaiah represents the mighty man of God, the greatest man of God in my opinion. And he was in charge of the Pelethites and the Cherethites, who were the Gentiles called to protect David in the throne room and the bedroom. David's secret service were not made up of the tribes of Israel. Even David wouldn't let church people guard him. Right? So he picked Gentiles, and he picked uncircumcised people to guard him in the most intimate places, his bedroom, and his throne room. Now, isn't this interesting? God's always up to weird things. Come on now. You know he's always a category buster. He's used you. That's strange enough. 
So in Benaiah, we see this blending. We see a priest warrior, and he serves David for 40 years. And so we're, we're looking at the fact that God has been blending through your life. You've been going through the warrior gym, strengthening you for battle. That explains a lot of your history. But you've also been going through crushing and pressing that has given you priestly sensitivities to be able to lead men, women, boys, and girls with the right tone. Remember, there are warrior churches. Hip, hip, suck it up, get over it, come on, believe the Bible. That doesn't help you when your heart is broken. That kind of warrior mentality without a priestly touch will only violate you. Have you ever been so broken you don't even know what to say? You can only cry, and then you go into a warrior church that day. Get over it, come on. Tears are for babies. Men don't cry, you know. <laughs> Warrior traits alone will kill. But when you marry the metaphor of the kingly image with the priestly image, now we have a sword and a scepter together. And that is a set of shoulders that can bear the kavod, the weight of God's glory that's coming. People pray for power. What do they mean? Beloved, did you know God's glory is so heavy it will crush you to death? When God's power comes into contact with the human body, something's going to give and it's not God. That's why the priests fell to the ground, pinned to the ground. So the only way you can walk and bear the glory of God and carry it around is if you're a king priest, if you're a soldier priest. So today, I want to talk just about the priestly side of the matter, if I could. I want to use an image of Macedonian priestly pearls. Remember last week I told you God has been toughening you up in the gym of life. We'll look at that next week. But today I want to talk about the scepter he's been gently forging in your soul over time. And there is one redemptive image in the Bible that in my mind demonstrates the development of priestly sympathies more than any other, and that is the pearl. Did you know the only God-made gem that comes from a living creature is a pearl? Think of poor Jimmy the mollusk. He's laying there in the water, and he opens his shell a little bit, and the water caresses him and comes in, and then all of a sudden a piece of jagged bone, some refuse from the bottom, comes and lodges itself in the soft portions just underneath his shell. And he does what he always does. He just brings more water in, and usually that'll wash debris out. But in the case of Jimmy the mollusk, that piece of debris doesn't go away. He can't wash it out. He can't get rid of it. He can't. Is there anything in your life you've been trying to wash out and it won't go? Well, in the case of an oyster, God has given a beautiful little reality called nacre. Nacre is mother of pearl. And what the oyster does with the difficulty and the discomfort is he begins to excrete its uh, saliva, its calcium, it's mother of pearl. He begins to cover and coat that irritation with layer after layer after layer of nacre. And, and, and uh, ever had a pebble in your shoe? What do you do when you, have, you, you stop, you take the shoe off, and you get the pebble out? An oyster or a mollusk can't do that. They can only do one thing, and that is the priestly act of transmutation. They coat the difficulty with nacre with mother of pearl. 
they coat it and they cover it and they cover it and it takes a long time. It takes years. And did you know that most of the pearls you see, when I say pearl, you're going to come up with an image and I can tell you right now your image is wrong. When you, see, when you think of pearls, you think of cultivated pearls. Did you know 98% of all the pearls in the world are man-made? Did you know that? Natural pearls that come from a mollusk or they come from an oyster are rare. They're rare. One is worth $100 million. A natural pearl, and we'll get to the distinction quick because you need to know, we are moving into a season of God-made miracles, not man-made miracles. Aren't you tired of man-made things? Aren't you tired of man-made movements? Aren't you tired of man-made, sweat-driven churches and, 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 and they're all warrior and they're no priestly or they're all priest and they're no warrior and there's imbalance and they're all claiming power. They're all claiming their piece of the pie is the whole pie. You know, I've gone through so many movements. How many of you survived? I survived the deliverance movement where everything was a devil. And then we had the shepherding movement where everybody had to report to their shepherd before they went to the bathroom. And then we had the worship movement. And then we had the promise keepers movement. And then we had the ladies movement. And then we had the youth movement. Amen. Then we had the worship movement. Then we had a word of faith movement. Then we had, and in every movement, every common mistake is made, which is you think your piece of the pie is the whole pie. Guess what? Your piece of the pie is one piece of the pie. <laughs> now, we need all of them together, right? To make good grandma's biscuits, you've got to have the water and you've got to have the salt and you've got to have all the ingredients. But if you, have, if you just eat the individual ingredients of grandma's biscuits, you will die. And choke on any one. you got to put them all together and put them in the oven at the right heat. And then something miraculous happens. All the movements I've survived in the body of Christ all thought their piece of the pie was the whole pie. And then they become imbalanced. You're supposed to glean the one truth out of a movement, add that to your tool belt, and move on. Amen. But all the deliverance people still think everything's a devil. I rebuke every calorie on that plate. Well, sister, that kind cometh out, but by prayer and fasting. We all think our piece of the pie is the whole pie. It isn't. Our piece of the pizza isn't the whole pizza. That's why we need the body of Christ. We need the composite. We need all the members joined together fitly in order to make the body. We need all the bricks to make the building. We need all the warriors to make the army. Amen. You're not it. And your little group is not it. Our group is it. No. You're in the ditch of warrior anointing and you don't have any priestly anointing. I'm sorry. You can't bear the glory. It would kill you straight up. It's like a four-year-old praying for a 44 Magnum. And that answer is no. Sorry to hurt your feelings. <laughs> then the priestly people that have no boundaries whatsoever and are all codependently uh, sloshing around in oil, they can't have the power either because they drown. And they drowned everybody else. <laughs> so in Beniah, we see this glorious marriage of a warrior priest. And we'll look at his kingly traits and their, their development. But I want to talk about pearls today. Now let me start with cultivated versus natural pearls. Cultivated pearls are man-made. Now they are, 
they're, you, they're made through the same process. But what they do is they take hundreds of mollusks or oysters and they, man, they induce them with a little pearl or a little man-made implement to cause them to start the nakur process, all right? So in three years, you're going to get a, a, a vat of pearls, and the pearls you're used to seeing are the ones that are on tel- This beautiful pearl necklace from Glarial can be yours for three easy payments. Those aren't pearls, honey. Those are cultivated pearls. Those are man-made pearls. Natural pearls happen in a God-made way. And they're never perfectly round, and they're never perfectly white, and they're never specifically one color. And in fact, when they're natural and they form the way God intended, they're all unique. They're different sizes. They're different weights. And did you know it takes 100,000 oysters to make one strand of natural pearls? That's why they're so expensive. One pearl sold for $100 million. Liz Taylor had one of the most perfect pearls, been owned by Napoleon, Napoleon III, Mary Queen of Scots. Gorgeous. There's one in the Louvre right now that's just as big as a, as a pear. But I want you to see the pearl-making process, in my mind, I'm using as the metaphor of how your priestly anointing develops. It isn't immediate. It is not man-made and man-induced. And pearls, by the way, aren't laying around on the surface. They're formed in a hidden process, hidden from human eyes, deep down. You know everything valuable is under your feet. Oil, gold, silver, emeralds, diamonds, rubies. And did you know out of all of them, and they're beautiful, and you, we take them and we facet them and we beat them and we play, place them in, in beautiful and, uh, contexts of placement, but the pearl is the only God-made gem from a living thing. So therefore, it was the most valuable. In the ancient world, Julius Caesar invaded Britain for the pearls. Caesar shall invade Britain. He's getting pearls. Yeah. Try to wipe some people out if you can, but I want the pearls. Caesar was a connoisseur of pearls. And pearls are very, not only are they costly when they're finished with the process. And by the way, some of you are midway through your pearl-making priestly process. Hold on. It's not immediate. You can't make pearls at the 7-Eleven. I'll take three pearls to go. You're not going to go through Jack in the Box and get a pearl, a real one. Because they can take up to three years, and they're rare. One out of 10,000 oysters has a pearl. Rare. It takes 100,000 to make a strand. Now you see the value. In the ancient world, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, carbuncles, nice. But they were all shaped by the hand of man. Do you see the man-made element? Well, what's wrong with man? Well, there's nothing, but uh, we're moving into a time, this last outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a God-made movement. And he's going to use God. You know what Benaiah's name meant? God built. God built this man particularly to bear the king-priest anointing, just like the Messiah in Psalm 110. And the Messiah's followers in Psalm 110 are called soldier priests 
a wedding of those two metaphors. Only soldier priest, and it says they would be willing in the day of his power. Christ's servants love him for him, not for his stuff. Aren't you glad that you want the blessor and not the blessing? Aren't you glad that you want the gift giver and not the gift? Aren't you glad that you're seeking his face and not his hand? Aren't you glad? I'm speaking by faith. Aren't you glad <laughs> that you have an I-thou relationship with him, subject to subject, not an I-it relationship, subject to object? Because when you have an I-it relationship, you're using a person, place, or thing for your own purposes as a means to an end. And God will not be used by you or anyone. You ever think you have God in the box? You open up the lid, you have an empty box. God is not a cosmic bellhop. God is not your rabbit's foot that you can rub three times and do a, a bunny dance, and he's, he's just going to make everything you want appear. That, the only problem with that doctrine is nowhere in the Bible. Show me one person who had a magic wand and got their will done all the time in every context, and that would be a big zero. <laughs> so he... He will not be used. You can use people, places, and things, but you cannot use the Lord. Go ahead and try. He'll just back off and leave your pearl-making process, add another three years on. He was almost done, put three years on Craig's sentence. So do you see pearls that are farmed are still man-made because a man induces that little round thing that the oyster is going to take over. Now, would you like a God-made blessing in your life or man-made? They look a lot alike. I want the Jackie Onassis pearls. They're $100. These are the exact pearls Jackie had. No, they weren't. And also, <laughs> no, they weren't. They're plastic. They're panetta. Remember the panetta, the panetta diamond sparkles? Like panetta is a man-made stone. As much as they tell you, diamondique, you too can own a diamond. Diamondique is not a real diamond. I'm sorry. It only costs $2. It's not a real diamond. And pearls that are man-made are beautiful, and they have a symmetry, but they are fake. They're not real. And we have pearls in the body of Christ, and if you don't know what you're looking for, you wouldn't know. Now, I had a friend that had a necklace of actual pearls, and it threw me because these were very expensive. They were more a pinkish shade, and they were all sort of odd shapes and little bumps, and I didn't find them beautiful at all because I've been duped by looking at fake pearls all my life, not to realize that when I actually held a strand of natural pearls, God-made pearls. I put them aside. I said, what are these made of plastic? She went, no. No. She told me how much they cost. $200,000. But the Panetta are so much cheaper, and I can buy a bunch. Beloved, we want the real. I don't know about you. I want the real. And when we look at Benaiah, now we're just going to look at his priestly uh, sympathies today and how the priestly element, because see, I want you to see the work of a priest. We uh, are to be pearl makers like God. 
We are to take the difficulties of our life, whatever they, however the pain presents itself, whatever grunge. And by the way, it was bone and guts and nasty stuff on the bottom. All the sludge on the bottom is what would go into Jimmy the Mollusk. So this is nasty stuff. Only God can take nasty stuff and wind it up as a pearl. Come on, everybody said, amen, that's my story. Yes, it is. You got some nasty bacteria, nasty bones, something or other in your little underbelly, and you just thought, well, I'm going to believe I received this ghost. You know, some things don't leave when you rebuke them in Jesus' name. They just get more deeply entrenched. And you can't expel it, but you can cover it. You can cover it with mercy. You can cover it. You see, the priestly work is this pearl-making work. We take difficulty and we coat it with nekir. We coat it with spiritual mother of pearl. We coat it with prayer. We coat it with a sweet spirit. We don't get bitter. We get better. And over time, what, what is a difficult, either a, either a mollusk is going to die or it's going to cover that difficulty and remove all of its jagged edges through mercy, grace, patience. Pearl-making involves patience. Come on, we're fast food Christians. We want it yesterday. And we will complain. And they even show us how many seconds at the Carl's Jr. I've been here 10 seconds. What the hell's going on? (laughs) God won't be rushed. And your prayer and your intercession and your binding it and your loosing it and your pulling a string and pushing a button doesn't do jack to speed up the thrice holy God of the universe. Sorry. Now, you, can, you can't control the wind, but you can set your sails. You can set your heart to be open and flexible. But if you think you're going to hump and pump and sweat and make a pearl, God says, oh, bless your heart. Try that for 10 more years. See how much more exhausted you get. We're all living on caffeine now in the ministry. (laughs) I'm 63. 50 years I've been watching people hump and pump and sweat and use their man-made talents, gifts, and abilities. And you know what? Maybe one out of 100,000 excel, not because of their strength, but because at some point they surrendered and they gave up. And they said, you know what? I know I'm talented, but I do not want to make a man-made pearl empire. Pearl Ministries presents Dr. Pearl himself, Craig Stimson. And there's a little pearl that shines on my teeth. You ever seen Rufus Glitter Teeth and Steve Stunning? And it looks like they're packaging themselves as the best pearls you've ever been. And if you give a $1,000 seed, we'll send you a pearl. It's not a natural pearl, honey for your your seed. Sorry. (laughs) These are from the Holy Land. No, they're not from the Holy Land. Holy Land pearls as our love gift for the month. The priestly element of Benaiah's life. Do you know it says that his father, Jehoiada, was a priest and a warrior. But he came, he was a third-generation priest. You know what it says of Benaiah? He was a third-generation priest. What does that mean? Do you remember in the book of Judges? The third generation. Remember when the people of God left Egypt and then they came through and then Moses died and Joshua took over, remember? And then Joshua eventually died. 
But the Bible says after Joshua died and the elders that served him died, there arose a third generation that knew not the works of the Lord, and they began to worship idols. You know, the third generation is a symbol, third generation faith, of people that just cast their faith aside. <laughs> they deconvert. They don't, they, weren't, they don't remember any of the signs of God because they never saw them. And the generation that told them last about it are dead. And so the third generation is usually the generation that goes to hell in a handbag. Benaiah, however, was an exception. He was a third-generation warrior priest who had developed well throughout his life. Remember last week we found out as a priest he was primarily a butcher. Did you know priests were butchers? They knew how to kill. They knew how to skin. They knew how to gut. They knew vivisection, and they knew exactly how to check the internal part of the animal to make sure it was clean in all respects, and they were covered with blood head to toe. If you took a tour of the temple, you would not have enjoyed it. Ew. What, what am I walking on? That's blood. That, that was the most garish place in the world. You go, Craig, I don't know what I feel. I'm conflicted. Well, we should be conflicted about sin. It's so awful in its incidents and consequences that it caused the death of the God-man. It's pretty serious. No, not to us. We're Western Christians. It's a boo-boo. God understand my boo-boo. Oopsie doodle. That's what we used to say to Arwen when she'd screw up. Whoopsie doodle. Well, I'm looking at some folks that have had some major whoopsie doodles in their life. Hmm? And you know by the age you are now that there's something really powerful about doing things God's way or our way, because our way is a hard way. Amen. Well, he quit to preach and going to Midland. Let me take a look at my notes as though they mean anything to me. <laughs> well, why is the priestly anointing so sacred? Because the priest is the one who stood between God and man and man and God. He represented man to God and God to man. The priest is the one who officiated the sacrificial offering at the altar that would bring the covering of sin and the corresponding favor of God. The priest was a man who was supposed to have a heart of compassion and tenderness so that he could thereby empathize with broken sinners because he knew first and foremost that he was a sinner. People who forget that they're sinners become cold-hearted priests. The most brutal thing in the world is a cold-hearted priest. I'm talking about an Old Testament priest. Someone that has to sling that blood and vivisect that bull, and here comes Sammy once again. And he knew by the sacrifice he brought what he'd done. After a while, it's like, oh, I was tired anyway. Now I got to kill this, gut this, skin this, and there were different prescriptions. If it was a sin offering, you had to go about certain animals, certain uh, rules. If it was a trespass offering, certain animals, certain rules. If it was a burn offering, certain animals, certain rules. If it was a peace offering, certain. I mean, this was complex stuff. Aren't you glad we live in the age of grace? Where we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins with your holy blood, amen, and then move on? Not, uh-oh, 
I'm going to bring a bullock this time and try to impress the priest. He's not impressed. And after a while, it just becomes a, there were 200,000 of these sacrifices at one Passover. It was a, it was a, it was a murder machine is what this was. The priests were butchers. They weren't Casper milk toast. These were hardy men. And they were aware 24 hours a day of their own personal sin and the sins of others because that blood, the blood of bulls and goats, however many millions of gallons, however, could never remit sin, ever. Each sacrifice was a check written that had to be made good. Ever written a check that had to be made good? Because when you wrote it, you knew it wasn't good? Well, it'll be good, you know. <laughs> I'm signing this like it's good, but I know I've got, I got to run to the bank and make that good. Well, imagine about two, 3,000 years of checks written, every sacrifice that was ever made. And there was only blood that was sacred in the veins of the God-man, the Messiah, the king priest himself, who alone could be butchered on the cross. And that blood was sacred enough to buy up and pay off all of those sacrificial checks. Why is he dying on the cross? What's going on over there? I don't get it. What's the thing? You bless your heart. How many times in life do you not get what's going on? That's a daily occurrence in my life. With Prevagen as well. I'm still wondering what's going on. Did you know Benaiah followed David for 40 years in loyalty? And one thing I, I, the Lord pointed out to me this week about Benaiah that I want to mention with you is that Benaiah served David when all he had was oil on his head. Can you serve an uncrowned king? Can you serve an uncrowned queen? when all they have is oil on their head? Oh, sure, they put the crown on David's head at Hebron, where he reigned for seven and a half years. Oh, sure, all the northern tribes came to him when they saw the crown. Oh, you're something now. You go ahead and win the lottery and see how many relatives you have come out of the woodwork you never knew you had. I'm your great, great, great cousin. <laughs> really? Nice to meet you for the first time. You get famous, you win the lottery, and you find out real quick when you have a visible crown, everybody acknowledges you. When you only have oil on your head, only the Benayas will follow you. Thank God for the Benayas in your life. Thank God for the safe people that love you for you. Thank God for people that have an I-thou intimate subject-to-subject -subject relationship with you and not an I-it because once the oil gives way to the crown, everybody's your best friend. And you know who I'm going to trust when that happens? Only the people that are here now. Only the Benaiahs in my life. Because Benaiah served David when there was only oil on his head. Selah. That's rich right there. That's worth the offering right there. Do you see how the priestly imagery found in pearl making, right? The difficulty comes, we coat it with mercy, with grace, and it's transmuted from something dirty and filthy and jagged and irritating into the most valuable of all gems because it's a God-made gem.
I believe that this move of God that's coming is different because it's a God-made movement. And there will be no question. How are we going to know when the revival starts? Because limbs will be growing on in real time. You won't have to go, on. Jesus, I wonder, maybe it's the devil. Let's, let's weigh it with Scripture. You will not have to <laughs> wonder when the king priests of God, whatever their age, I don't care if you're 70 or you're 16 or you're 8, the men, women, boys, and girls God's going to use to bear that glory are strategically built like Benaiah was God-built. They're built as priest kings. They're built as king priestesses, queen priestesses. The, 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 the anointing is overwhelming. They've got meal and oil and word and spirit and head and heart. The epitome of an army of balanced Benaiahs are still hidden like the pearl until it's revealed. You know, it was risky finding the pearls because you had to take a rock that would weight you down and you had to risk your life and limb going all the way down to the bottom because you're only going to get the best, the untouched oysters or mollusks on the bottom. They don't lay around on the, on the surface. You know, gold doesn't lay around on the surface. Look, Mama. You know, no, you got to dig. You got to dig for gold, for silver, and you got to dig. And you know, you can dig. <laughs> I remember hearing the gold mine story. This guy that had a gold mine for 50 years, they never found a thing. And another, a young man who had been watching them dig realized they were digging in the wrong angle. So they abandoned the thing. It finally, they lost the, the, the control of it. And the kid goes over, buys the, the claim, and he puts the drill in another direction, and he strikes gold the first day. <laughs> it was there the whole time. They were just doing a horizontal thing, and it was a vertical thing. You know, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, digging at the wrong angle. And what produced nothing, and you go kill yourself over, someone first time they dig in, they find all the glory. That, that'll make you want to go die if you're not dead. <laughs> oh, and did you know pearls were the gift of the 30th wedding anniversary? Some of you have been serving the Lord 30 years, and your pearl crown is coming. Don't worry about it. You see, have you ever seen the picture of Jesus and the little girl has got her little pop beads, her fake pearls, and Jesus is demanding them? with his right hand, and yet behind him he's holding the most beautiful $100 million strand of actual natural pearls are behind his back, and he's demanding your pop beads. Sometimes it, I know it feels like he's demanding everything you have, the only thing you've ever loved. But he will never disappoint you. He's trying to exchange that $100 million actual natural pearl necklace with your dollar store toy that you bonded yourself to, person, place, thing, whatever the end, fill in the blank. He, I would encourage you to trust any exchange Jesus offers to give you. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy in place of mourning, the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. Give him your diamondique pearls that you got for three easy payments because he has the real thing. 
It's a long process. It happens away, hidden away from human eyes. It happens underground. But, beloved, everything that is worth having is worth waiting for by the hand of God. Amen. Do you know, this pulpit is so precious to me because it represents God-made ministries. Some of the greatest ministries in the last 80 years all preached and served from this pulpit. Meal and oil, word and spirit, head and heart, what a Benaiah company have stood behind this pulpit. Some old priests and not, you know, a mixture, of course, but there have been more Benaiahs. There have been more soldier priests. There have been more king priests that have ministered behind this little piece of history, and you look at it, and it doesn't look like much. And the more we put it in the car, the more chips it gets, and the more legitimate it looks in my eyes. Catherine Kuhlman used to minister behind this pulpit. Oh. John Wark Montgomery used to minister behind this pulpit. Dr. Walter Martin used to minister from behind this pulpit. Because it represents to me head and heart, meal and oil, word and spirit. And you know, when I was a boy, uh, the prophet Dick Mills sent me a, a prophetic word. It was just three typed scriptures on a white page. And they came without explanation in the mail, and it was all about word and spirit, head and heart, meal and oil, and I didn't know what it meant. It was Genesis 1 about then the word spoke and the Holy Spirit and, you know, created and hovered over the word. And they were all verses related to meal and oil. And as dense as I was then, I get somewhat that look from some of you this morning. I read it, and I read it to Pastor Rick. We were roommates at the time in Malibu. Didn't understand. Called Dick Mills, got him on the phone. I said, Dick, you know, I know you're a prophet, but what the heck does this mean? And he said, well, the characteristic of your ministry in later life is going to be meal and oil, head and heart, balance. He didn't say Benaiah, but a warrior priest, soldier priest, we've got to have those balanced metaphors together. We have to have the throne and the altar. Remember I mentioned last week in Israel, the throne and the altar could never go together. A king could never be a priest. Uzziah tried to be a priest. King Uzziah. And he took the censor and he tried to make a sacrifice and God struck him with leprosy because kings were not allowed to officiate as priests. They were two separate categories. Remember Saul lost his throne? What? He offered the priestly sacrifice in place of, of the prophet Samuel. Samuel said, in seven days, I'm going to show up. I'll give the sacrifice. Saul got nervous. The people started pressing him, and he rushed through, and he took his kingly office, and he tried to be a priest, and Samuel showed up right behind him. Isn't that how God does it? Soon as you sin, the prophet's right behind you. He says, I told you to wait. You're a king. You're not a priest. You just lost your kingdom. He lost his kingdom. And all he could do is tell uh, Samuel, could you hold my arm and walk down with me so the people think that you're with me? I know I've lost my kingdom, but just make them think I'm still king. Sometimes we want superficial things instead of deep, true things. So it's when you blend the imagery of the king priest and Benaiah, the soldier priest, we are seeing a balance in our time. And the power that's coming is not here yet because you won't have to wonder. Did the leg grow a quarter of an inch? I'm not sure. It could have been uh, special effects. 
when God does what God's going to do, there will there'll still be volitional doubters. There's still going to be people that say, no matter what you show me, I don't believe it. Jesus said, if you will not believe in Moses and the prophets, you would not believe if one rose from the dead right in front of you. And guess what? They didn't. They said, here's money. Say the disciple stole his body. So you can go into volitional doubt and not believe what God's going to do. There's no question about that. Well, who would be so stupid? Trust me. <laughs> Jesus said there's only one out of four ground that has seed that will bear fruit. That means three out of four don't produce anything. So three, there's only, <laughs> if you have 10 people in a room, there's one <laughs> that's there by a divine purpose. The rest think they're at the mall opening. Someone say amen. Well, glory. I don't want to be too hard now. So pearl farms are man-made ways of producing what looks like natural pearls. But it is the priest who transmutes brokenness into beauty. And that is the most powerful thing in the world. When someone can lead you to the altar and introduce you to a God who loves you and paid the sacrificial price for you, what's not to love? And his demeanor and his tone and his body language is tender, welcoming. You will run to such an altar. And remember the God-made altars in the Bible were to be made of unhewn stone? What does that mean? It means that God never allowed them to get fancy with the altar. They couldn't make the Pyramid of Giza. The Pyramid of Giza is amazing. You go to Egypt and you go, whoa, man-made things are beautiful. They're impressive. They're still there. But God said, when you build me an altar, you're going to take sharp, broken things that you find as they are in situ, and you're going to take those broken, jagged, ugly things, and you're going to press them together in a pile, and you're going to pour life out on them. And you will never use the stroke of human ingenuity to make those stones look pretty. You know, if we square those off a little bit and then we pile them up in this way, it would really be God said he would not drop fire on that altar. A man-made altar was a dead, sterile altar. No fire. Remember Cain and Abel? Remember the first sacrifice in the Bible? What did Cain bring? He initiated the first sacrifice, cost him a lot of money. It was an exhausting sacrifice, cost a lot of sweat and blood, but it was a bloodless offering. It was a fruit plate. Only problem is God did not order a fruit plate and a vegetable plate, as beautiful as your fruit plates are, and I, I, some of you I know. That was a bloodless offering, and the Bible says God did not show favor to it. He didn't bring fire to it. And then Abel brings a lamb. He brings a blood offering which is what God commanded. He showed them exactly the price of access. When Adam and Eve had sinned and were naked, God himself took the first animal and he killed it and he shed its blood and he skinned it and he made clothes of that sacrifice and put those outfits on Adam and Eve. They knew how to approach God. It wasn't through a melon plate, as creative as that could be. That's just gorgeous. An ice display to look like the Temple of Jerusalem. That's impressive, too. 
a chocolate temple of Herod. Mm. A bloodless offering was unacceptable. Sorry. Even when you brought a mincha, which was a meal offering, you had to bring it in conjunction with the blood offering. Genesis 3.21, first mentioned in the Bible, God sheds blood. And that's the redemptive theme from beginning to end. So when we see the pearl in its cold, clammy, hidden process being produced from raw suffering, this rare work, this hidden work, it produces something which is that which has no utility at all. Did you know a pearl has no utility except to be looked at? You can't use it to measure something. You can't use it as a tool. And it is a, a symbol of a, a composite of absolute unity. Do you know the pearl is made of the sum of its parts, and all the parts are nasty, yucky, poopy, bacterial, bottom-feeding stuff. That... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to say amen too quick as I look over the crowd because <laughs> those are the ingredients that the Lord took in us. And, and did you know when a beautiful pearl that's worth $100 million emerges from its hidden place, people don't care what composite stuff was necessary to make you what you are. See, the devil still shames you over stuff you did. He keeps playing the same sins back to you, and he will as long as you'll listen. Just say, look what you did. Do you remember when you did that nasty thing? And all of us have our little looped playlist that he's showing you. He takes your whole life, which is a massive film, and he loops it into one little loop. And he keeps showing you the compost, the composite of stuff that you would rather die than think about. And even though you know Jesus forgiven you, and even though you know his blood is enough, and even though you know you still, the devil still can play that, and you still go to that place of shame, guilt, and condemnation, if only, woulda, coulda, shoulda, oh my God. But did you know people don't care about that loop in your head about that sin you committed 20 years ago? Because they're so enamored by the unity represented in that mother-of-pearl miracle that you are now. That they, 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 they know you're a composite. If God uses you to save a marriage, ask them their opinion of your ministry. Don't ask the haters their opinion of your ministry. Gee, let me go read online everybody that's calling me every name in the book. Everything but a child of God. Don't pollute your mind. Don't feed that into your mind. Ask somebody who is so blessed at the pearl you've become. And there is a scepter of priestly pearl service that everything you touch is coated with mercy and grace and, and, and is transmuted into something beautiful. Ask them their opinion of your life and whether you're successful or not or whether you matter or not. Don't listen to the demons. They're always going to say you're dumb, stupid, ugly, and your mama dresses you funny. They're going, to say, they're going to hit that same brick a thousand times every single day until you break that finger that's hitting that brick. It's going to keep going. 
You can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. And some of you have had things nesting in your bloody hair for 10 years that just guide your life and talk to you 24 hours a day. Knock that nasty hat off your head. And if you can't, we'll do it. Because we know that you're a composite. We know where you came from. Get my teacher on the uh, teaching on the master potter. The master potter picks clay from the stinkiest, nastiest, smelliest ground you can. That's where he gets his clay, and it's horrible. And then he puts it in and lets it rot. <laughs> if it doesn't smell bad enough, and it's not from a more outrageous slot in the earth, he then just simmers it. I used to teach at a at a uh, at a seminary called Shepherd University, and they would take me out to lunch and give me kimchi. I don't have a heart for kimchi. I didn't like it when I smelled it the first time. I didn't like it when I was starving to death, and they took me, and that's all there was. I would rather eat my own finger off. Than kimchi, and then the guy says, "Oh well, you put this you put this in a vat, and as soon as it rots, you put on the sauce and take it out." Okay, you had me at hello, you didn't have me at hello. Now you explain it to me. <laughs> I knew I was never going to eat that stuff. I had one bite once, and that that healed me for life. Now I'm not judging you. I I know you love kimchi. <laughs> it's a cultivated taste, like a cultivated pearl, Craig be fair. Nope. Anybody ever tried to get you to try something again? Just used everything finally. Sauerkraut too. I'm in the eagle's nest in Berchus Garden. I'm sitting where Ava Braun used to sit. And they had a restaurant there and, and I thought, surely I'll try sauerkraut again. And I didn't get just some. They, the side order was this much. I smelled it and began to pass out. I took, I, by faith, I took a bite. It was worse than any sauerkraut I've ever had in my life. So, enough of the history stories. Let's bring this to a conclusion. Beloved, suffering can produce resentment, bitterness, or the greatest gem of a lifetime. Pearls are fragile. You can whack a diamond, you can whack an emerald, you can shape and form a ruby, but if you so much as look at a pearl, it'll break. And all you got is calcium and spit. It's worthless. But it's a composite unity. And it has no utility except to hold it up and go, look at this, it diffuses light perfectly. Did you know that the Lord Jesus has been forming your priestly arm and he's been anointing your priestly mantle just like in the pearl-making process? Because you're going to be a balanced warrior priest. You're going to be a balanced soldier priest. And some of us have an Arnold Schwarzenegger warrior arm and an Auschwitz priestly arm. Some of us have a Schwarzenegger priestly arm and an Auschwitz warrior arm. But soldier priests are needed in this balanced company because no one else can bear the weight that's coming. So you can stop killing yourself thinking if you push the right button or pull the right lever, you're going to bring this anointing in. Ha! We're going to have 100,000 people. You know they have 100,000 people on prayer lists now? 
you can have 100,000 people praying for you. I haven't really felt much from it. <laughs> Wouldn't you think you'd feel a little extra double dose to the Holy Ghost? We put you on the million-man prayer list. Well, it's not working <laughs> in my subjectivity. God always answers prayer. Sometimes it's, yes, wait, and I have something so much better for you. But I don't know about you. I'm so glad I can't manipulate him. I'm so glad I can't make him do anything. So when I see people, you know, screaming and getting red-faced, in the name of Jesus, ah, heaven's open. <laughs> Premature glory, come and kill us all. <laughs> do you remember <laughs> Moses is praying? And, 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 and he, he doesn't want to be the leader. And he says to God, look, you just go down. Um, and, and, you know, we're all the Lord's priests. And God says, you know, Moses, I appreciate you, honey. Mo, you're something. But I'm not going to answer your prayer. I'm going to answer your heart. Because if I went down in their midst right now, they would all be slaughtered in their craziness. So isn't it great God answers your heart sometimes and doesn't answer your prayer? Because if he did, you'd be dead and everyone you're praying for would be dead. Lord, remember Revelation says he mixes my prayers in bowls with special vials of incense. Lovely. He's got, he's got to mix your prayers up before they go straight in to the glory because you can't have some of what you're asking for. Some of what you're asking for would kill the person if God gave that to him. All right. Well, you couldn't tell me that when I was 16 and screaming the name of Jesus. I used to try to cast devils out of people that wanted them. You've never had a rough night like that. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. <laughs> In the name of the God man. You know, and Craig goes, you know, the Holy Ghost goes, Craig, honey, they want that devil. I can't get that out of them because I'm a gentleman. Quit watering ranch gardens, Craig. Your deliverance reputation will not be made dying on this battlefield. You can't cast a demon out of somebody that wants it. Why would anyone want a demon? Open your eyes and look east, west, north, south. One of my mentors, John Warwick Montgomery, one time was asked the big pressing question of the 70s was, uh, can a Christian have a demon? Dr. Montgomery said, a Christian can have anything he wants. <laughs> Best answer I ever heard. I went, ah, that's why he's got 19 degrees. Warrior priests, be encouraged. Your priestly arm is being developed, but it's through the pearl-making process. It's taking time. Don't worry about it. It's not a man-made thing. It's a God-made thing. But the value in the end is going to blow your mind and everybody else. You know, Jesus, our Lord, gave the parable. Matthew 13, 46, it says, When he found a connoisseur of pearl, pearls, who is an expert in pearls, he's been collecting pearls his entire pearl ministry. They call him Mr. Pearl, Daddy Pearl. This guy knows more about pearls, and he's collected the finest found in the world, but it says one day he found one pearl of great price, of such value, that he went away and sold everything and bought it. Is there anything that you would give up everything to get? 
Is there anyone that you would give up everything to get? And I have to leave on, a, on an up note. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. See, you've heard that all your life. I remember Dorothy Parker was once walking through a door, and one of her girlfriends said, age before beauty, and she said, pearls before swine. <laughs> Quick. Why did Jesus say you don't cast your pearl? Now, now that you know what a pearl is, now that you know they can be $100 million, now, now it takes 100,000 oysters to make one strand that's real and not man-made. Why? Who in their right mind would throw a 100 million strand of pearls in front of pigs? I'm looking at them. You've been doing it your whole life. You take valuable things and you try to share them with creatures by definition, by nature. If they can't eat it, they stomp on it and turn to rend you, Jesus said. Stop doing that. I'm not doing that. Well, Jesus evidently thinks, he thinks his disciples were doing it. Have you ever shared something precious of your heart? with people that are not confidants, people that are not safe, people that don't value you, people that don't get you, and then they, they, if they can't eat it, they turn around and they go to kill you. Jesus said, quit. Pearls are for you to enjoy, not pigs. Who's he calling a pig? Well, we'll leave that to your wise judgment and discernment. But, beloved, the revelation he's given you, the intimacy, I thou intimacy and closeness he's given you, the safety you have with him, don't, don't prostitute that and throw it to people who don't want it and don't care. Unsolicited advice is always a curse. Like Dennis says, if, if I want your opinion, I'll read it in your intros. If somebody doesn't ask you, look at 1 Peter 3.15. We read it all the time. Uh, give a reason to everyone that asks, a reason of the hope that lies within you. There, there we go. Uh, know why you believe what you believe. Yeah, but it says they have to look at your life, see something about your life that amazes them, come to you as a result of looking at your character, and then they have to say, wow, what have you got that I don't? How many people have ever done that to you? Let us move on. It is becoming convicting. You go right out with your bullhorn and you start eliciting questions. No doubt you have problems with the virgin birth. You know, you, wait a minute. They've got to see you, little pearl, and they've got to be so overwhelmed that the work God's done in you is not your talent, not your gift, not your ability, not your gift of gab, not your beauty. But there's something pearl-like about you, an incandescent something that makes people go, wow, what is that about her? And they don't know what it is, and they come up. Now, when they do that, you should prepare yourself to give a gracious, priestly response. Don't be a warrior yelling without priestly sympathies. You have to be a warrior priest right then, not to lose your one opportunity. And if they open the door an inch, don't take a mile. 
Well, they opened the door and the child preached two hours on the, on the great pyramid of Giza. No, 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 no. Don't die on the wrong battlefield. Take sacred moments and treat them with sacred trust. Don't cast pearl before swine. And Jesus said, don't give what holy, what's holy to the dogs. Lord, his movement began to wane at that point. Because, see, he wasn't there to teach. He wasn't there to heal. He wasn't there to do miracles. He was there as the God-man, the pearl diver, who dived all the way from the throne, all the way down into the waters to find and redeem the costliest pearl. You. Look at what he sacrificed. To redeem you so that he can show you off and go, look at my baby. Isn't she something? Yeah, but I remember a sin I committed 20 years ago. Good for you. Bless your little sweet pee-picking heart. He's holding his people right now up to the light. It's pearl time. And he's not using them to bludgeon anyone. They have no utility except to be put in a crown or a necklace or a ring or a bracelet for everyone to go, oh, oh my God, look, oh, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Your priestly arm's getting strong. So this week, Benaiah's priestly development, man, man. He was a third-generation priest because God wanted to stick it to the devil and say, you always say the third generation belongs to you. Eat this. <laughs> Benaiah, the king priest, is going to be loyal to the end. He's going to die loyal. He's going to never walk away. He sees the oil on my head, and only the others see the, the crown that's visibly on my Benaiah, that's... That's the archetypical image of the men, women, boys, and girls that are going, warrior priests, warrior priests. So they're underground. They're hidden right now. There's 7,000. Well, there's millions of them about Anita Bale and her kissed his mouth. And they're not in circulation, and they're not on prophetic sites. Uh, some of them are, but not most of them. They're still emerging. Because when you see them, one of them, you're not going to wonder. When you see 100,000 of them come together in a necklace, oh, the whole world will be stopped. <gasps> like the Queen of Sheba, her breath was taken away by Solomon. <gasps> yeah. I want to encourage you, Benaiah. Little Benaiah, Benaiot. Men, women, boys, and girls. Warrior priests, warrior priestesses. Soldier priests, soldier priestesses. Yo, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for enduring everything. Thank you for coating all those hurtful, deeply hurtful things with nacre, with mercy, and covering it with forgiveness, and not getting bitter, but getting better, and not getting offended, but you keep coating it, you keep coating it, you keep coating it, you keep coating it, and guess what? There's a treasure coming from you, the, world, the likes of which the world has never seen. And God will put you in the perfect placement to be seen by everyone he wants to see you. Until then, you're invisible. There's a cloaking device in your life. Thank God for it. Lord, I want to thank you for your precious soldier priests and priestesses, Lord. I pray right now, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would cascade upon these precious ones with an anointing heavier than they've ever known, thicker than they've ever known, 
more sacred than they've ever known. That you would fill their gas tanks up, Lord, not just $2 worth, but to fill them up to overflowing, top them off with hope for their future. Still hope. Thank you, Lord. Top them off with, with confidence. Top them off with boldness, Lord, your little soldier priests. Strengthen their priestly arms for service, Lord. Strengthen their pearl-like, pearl-making abilities to transmute wreckage into perfect beauty. Use us to transmute the lives of men, women, boys, and girls in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel happy right now. That's good stuff. Now we're just going to pass out the, the dessert. If David was here, we'd go to the table of the Lord and have our dessert. But we bless you. And if we bless you, would you bless us? Would you consider that? You can, you can, you can bless us. You can go to our PayPal there. You can go to the giving button right there. And it's so easy to do. And whatever it would be, if the Lord places that in your heart, if we feed you, you feed us. Just do a consistent amount, whatever it is. If it's a dollar, just a consistent dollar. Because when we minister to you, it's only proper, if you feel led, to minister to us. Amen. It's a reciprocal work of God. And by the way, Remember Jesus at the wedding of Cana produced a wine that transcended anything the governor of the feast had ever tasted. God's about to make some pros blush. He's going to make revival experts blush. He's going to make people that know everything about Reformation and and moves of God blush. He's going to take, he's serving a wine of such a caliber. He saved the best for last. All the wine connoisseurs on the planet in in the Christian world with all they've seen around the world, are, have not tasted the best wine. He saved that to last. He likes to do that. Amen. The Mad Dog 99 is going to be transcended. But it's Trader Joe's. It's $2 a month. Yeah, it's a great deal. That's going to be transcended. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.